And now we are in the middle of chapter 28. Chapter 28 is part of this larger unit of always being in a state of joy. Joy is so important if we want to access our transcendent self. If you look at the Rambam, where he describes the process of prophecy, he says how the prophets and the, the B'nai Hanavim, those who are educating in this field, if you want to call it that, the prophets would play musical instruments in order to bring joy upon themselves because Ein Hanavua Shaira, prophecy does not rest, not in a state of sadness, not in a state of laziness, only in a state of joy. And we have to remember that. We also want to reach our transcendent self. Right now, we're not prophets, but we're trying to access not prophecy. We're trying to access our fullest potential in our mission here. Why were we born? We didn't just come here for no reason. We're here on a mission. We're here to take this world and transform it into a home for Hashem. But coming down here, things look a little different. You know, our soul up there was about to come down. It's so excited. I'm on this mission. And then it comes down here and it forgets the truth. It forgets that there's absolutely no reality except for Hashem. And now it's stuck in this diminished consciousness and it sees the world around it and it thinks this is real. This is the truth. This is reality. No, no, no. Reality, the only truth, the only existence is Hashem. And we can transform the entire world by first transforming our own selves. By accessing this deeper truth, the deepest truth, that there is nothing else besides Hashem and Hashem is the only reality. Now, in order to fight our dark side, we can't be sluggish. That's what the beginning of chapter 26 told us. If we're going to be sluggish, then even if we're stronger and the divine soul is stronger, it's like light over darkness. We're not going to be able to succeed if we're not giving it our all. To give it our all, we need joy. So starting in this chapter, we looked at how should we respond? How should we react if we're in the middle of true, sincere service? And suddenly we're plagued by dark thoughts, thoughts of sin or just simply distracting thoughts that we're not so totally involved. We were so involved. We were praying with our deepest concentration. We were studying Torah with all of our heart. We were doing something good. And all of a sudden we have this contrary voice inside of us that's distracting us. So we asked ourselves some questions. How are we going to deal with this? Are we going to try to locate the divine spark? that's really hidden in this distracting thought and then now sublimate it and use it in service of Hashem and the Alter Rebbe told us, no, that's dangerous. If you have not yet eradicated your own evil, you cannot try to sublimate the Mida inside because you're too involved. It's too personal for you. It's definitely an emotional attachment over here. You need to just ignore it. Now, what about feeling down because of it? Should we feel dejected and despicable because we're doing the right thing and then we're getting these sinful or distracting thoughts while we were supposedly so devoted? And Al Rebbe said, no, don't feel dejected. Don't feel despicable because you have to remember that you have a, an animal soul within you. And every time this, there's a battle going on, it's a battle between your divine soul and your animal soul. And every time your divine soul musters up more strength and gathers more courage and keeps doing the right thing, well, guess who feels threatened? Your animal soul. So your animal soul is speaking up. Wonderful. This is great. It means you're doing a good job. Keep doing what you're doing. It feels threatened. Wonderful. So now we're going to continue that thought. We're in the middle of page three, if you printed out the booklet. 
And this is further developing the idea of not allowing, not allowing ourselves to fall for the idea that if you are doing the right thing and then you're experiencing dark thoughts, that you're probably a hypocrite. The Alter is going to show us why that truly is not the case. This refutes a common error. When a foreign thought occurs to some people during prayer, they mistakenly conclude that their prayer is worthless. For if one prayed properly and correctly, so they mistakenly believe, no foreign thoughts would arise in his mind. So they're saying like this. You remember all those times when you were so busy with something, you were so involved in that project, whatever you were doing at that time? You weren't planning your vacation at the same time. You weren't thinking other things because you were so immersed. When you're so immersed, you don't think of other things. So were you really that immersed in your prayer? If you were so immersed in your prayer, you would never have had these thoughts. The fact that you are having these thoughts means your prayer is worthless. Now, if you were walking into prayer and you didn't prepare properly, so you didn't think that I'm going to sit down and I'm diving to Hashem right now. Instead, you were just in the middle of planning your recipe and then you sit down and open a book and you continue planning your recipe. Then those are not foreign thoughts. Those are native thoughts. These are not extraneous thoughts. These are the thoughts you created yourself. You know the joke about the guy who comes to the doctor because he has a sharp pain in his right eye every morning when he drinks his coffee. And the doctor tells him, take the spoon out. So if you're walking into prayer with the thoughts that you are thinking that are not about Hashem, then this is not the problem that we're talking about. These are the problems that you yourself created. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody who's really sincere. They're really into their prayer. They're really into whatever worship of Hashem they're doing then. And suddenly they're bombarded with thoughts that they would never be thinking and it's coming to them. So the altar is going to explain how this happens. Ms. They would be correct if there would be but one soul within a person, the same soul that prays, being also the one that thinks and ponders on foreign thoughts. So this is the mistake that they're making. True, if you only had one soul, and that soul was the soul that thought all worldly matters, and that same soul was the soul that thought all heavenly matters, then if you were totally immersed with that one soul, you couldn't think of anything else. But we don't have one soul. We have two souls. This is an idea that the Alter Rebbe introduced to us right in the beginning of Tanya. He quoted from Rabbi Chaim Vital that every single Jewish person has two souls. The one soul stems from the Sitra Achra, and the second soul is a divine soul, truly a part of Hashem above. So it's not just two Yitzarim, two inclinations, and that two inclinations are fighting over one soul. Each of these wants to capture the mind and the emotions of the soul. That's not how it is. It's really two entire personas. Each of these souls has its own three intellectual faculties, its own seven emotional faculties, its own three garments of thought, speech, and action. It's a much more complex fight than that. 
And the Yitzarim, you say a Yetzer Tov and a Yetzer Hara, the Yetzer Tov is the drive of the divine soul. The Yetzer Hara is the drive of the animal soul. It's two souls here. Aval be'emes la'amitai. One second, I'm going to go back and read this line that I didn't read. For in this case, if the godly soul were truly immersed in the prayers, there would be no room within it for foreign thoughts. But in fact, there are two souls, each waging war against the other in the person's mind. The mind is thus not only the battleground, the mind is also the prize. It's the object of the battle between the two souls. For, Each of them wishes and desires to rule and pervade the mind exclusively. So you see what's going on? It's not just two inclinations over here. Two entire souls, like a person for themselves almost, fighting over your mind and your heart. All thoughts of Torah and fear of God come from the godly soul, while all thoughts of worldly matters derive from the animal soul. It's like there are two people here. That's what's going on. And as the chapter develops, Altreb is going to teach us to treat this dark side like a stranger from without. There's an interpretation slash joke about Rebecca, Rivka, when she's pregnant with her twins, Yaakov and Esav. So she can't understand what's wrong with this child. Every time she passes by a church, kicking, kicking, kicking. Then she walks by a temple and he's kicking, kicking, kicking. What is up with this kid? So she goes to the base medrash of Shem and Aver and she said, I don't understand. Tell me about this child. And he tells her, listen, Shnei Goyim Bevitnech, you have two nations in your womb and then she calms down because she realizes it's not one kid kicking for the church and also kicking for the temple it's two one of them is kicking for the church and the other one is kicking for the temple so she took a deep breath phew it's not just a confused child it's two people with two desires the same thing with us we can breathe out it's not one of us that's a crazy hypocrite there are really two souls within us, each fighting over our mind and over our hearts. So it's time to relax. You can take a deep breath. Shnei Gayim Bevitnech. Two nations are in your womb. Similarly, in our case, thoughts of prayer are from the divine soul, while foreign thoughts stem from the animal soul. Thus, the occurrence of a foreign thought during prayer is no indication of a fault in the prayer. In fact, the opposite may be true as the Alter Rebbe explained with the analogy of the two combatants. The fact that you're experiencing foreign thoughts may be a very good sign. It means that the divine soul is mustering up enough stamina, enough energy, it's gaining victory so that the animal soul feels threatened. Remember that the soul that's praying is not the very same soul that's bombarding you with foreign thoughts. There are two souls over here. But now it becomes more complex. The plot thickens, really. If we have two souls, why are we, at the time that we are praying, experiencing these thoughts? But if there indeed are two separate souls, why should the extraneous thoughts of one interfere with the devotions of the other? They would not interfere, answers the Alter Rebbe, except, rock, 
Except that the godly soul is clothed within it, within the animal soul. Therefore, the godly soul cannot ignore foreign thoughts arising from the animal soul, and thus foreign thoughts disturb one's devotion in prayer. So this is how it works over here. Chapter 30, later on in Tanya, in chapter 35, the altar is going to tell us that the divine soul on its own cannot affect the body. It cannot act upon the body because it is utterly spiritual and the body is physical and corporeal. How does it interact with the body? How does it act out on the body? Through the medium of the animal soul. The animal soul is spiritual, but it's also physical. It's spiritual in the sense that it's a spirit. It's something that, it's the heat in the blood. And yet it's clothed in the physical blood. So in order for the divine soul to act upon the body, it needs to act through the animal soul. So, even when you're thinking holy thoughts, how are you using your brain? How is your divine soul harnessing your brain? Through the medium of your animal soul. And therefore, your animal soul always has a foothold. Even as you are so engrossed in your devotions, at that time, it can bombard you with foreign thoughts because it's the medium. It's what allows your divine soul to access the body. And this works the other way around too, that the, the divine soul gets harmed by the actions of the animal soul because our essence of life, the true essence of a Jew is really their divine soul. The reason why we're alive, the reason why we breathe, why we're here at all is because of our divine soul. That's who we are in our essence. And yet, our divine soul does not act directly upon the body. It acts through the medium of the animal soul. Anytime that we do anything, whatever it is that we're doing, it's the animal soul acting on the body through its original soul essence. The divine soul and even if god forbid a person sins they are taking that divine soul that's literally a part of hashem himself and using it to act against hashem and in this way the soul itself becomes hurt and the soul itself then needs correction because it is the one that empowered that act Okay, so it's pretty complex over here. Yes, we have two souls. It's like two complete separate individuals within us. And yet, these two souls don't act independently. They are interdependent. And therefore, even as we are totally devoted in our prayers, the animal soul still has the power to throw extraneous thoughts our way. Okay, so let's summarize what we said until now. And then we're going to move on to the next section. Let me see. I have a question here on the chat. Let me see what this says. Okay, from Joni. Maybe you already addressed this. Sorry if you did already. I understand fighting the two souls and getting a grip on the godly soul, but how do you strengthen by technique or practices your concentration on power and, uh, on prayer and continue to pray? That's exactly what the chapter is going to discuss over here. So we're going to get to it. Good question. It's coming right up. Okay, so let's summarize what we said until now. We said that if you are in the middle of praying to Hashem with concentration and suddenly you're having foreign thoughts, this is no proof that your prayer is worthless or invalid. 
because you don't have one soul, you have two souls. And every single time your divine soul speaks up, then your animal soul feels threatened and it's fighting back. So this might be a very good sign. It's not proof at all that your prayers were worthless. Now we're going to move on to the next section, how to deal with it. This is to use an example like a person who's praying with devotion. While facing him, there stands a wicked heathen who chats and speaks to him in order to confuse him. If the other's intention were not to disturb him, but merely say to ask him a question, then he could rid himself of the disturbance simply by responding to the questioner. But when the intention is to disturb his prayers, he will gain nothing by responding. If he answers one question, he will promptly be asked another. So you're in the middle of praying, and suddenly this bad guy comes. He says, oh no, you're praying. Terrible. I don't want you praying. I'm going to distract you. So they ask you a question. Excuse me, what's the best way to get to the 405? Does he really want to know how to get to the 405? Of course not. He just wants to distract you. You don't answer him at all. If you answer him, oh, just take this street and go down to that street, then he'll ask you another question because you're walking right into his trap. He's not here to actually get an answer from you. He's here only to disturb you. That's the most important point here. And that's what the altar of a says over here coming up. Surely the best advice of this case would be answer him neither good nor evil, but rather to act as though he were deaf without hearing. So the altar says, don't answer him good. Don't tell him how to get to the 405. Don't even answer him evil. Don't say you are disturbing me stop disturbing me even if you yell at the animal soul you're walking right into its trap what did it want to do it wanted to distract you it wanted to disturb you as soon as you answer the animal soul you are allowing it to take your focus away and disturb your concentration you are to answer him nothing now it's very important to differentiate between the different thoughts that can plague a person during davening and how to deal with each of these Right over here, the altar was talking about those thoughts that are here simply to confuse you. But what if a person is distracted by troublesome thoughts that are worries that he has to take care of, like large and looming worries in the material world that plague him not just when he prays, but they plague him even during the day when he's not engaged in prayer. And while he's praying, they follow him too into prayer. But these are thoughts that are here not just because to distract the person. They're not just here to distract. These thoughts are here because they actually require attention. They actually need you to take care of them. And so the Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, deals with this idea in Kuntras Hatfila. And he compares it not to this wicked guy who's here to distract you from your prayers, but rather from somebody who needs something from you while you pray. So what do you do? You signal to him, ah, oh, ah, oh, middle of praying right now. Come back to me after I'm davening. That's how you deal with this kind of thought. A thought that requires attention. He says like this. A person has troubles, right? But then they put their troubles aside to go to sleep because you need sleep for your physical health. So they say, you know what? I have these things I have to take care of. Right now I need to sleep. We'll deal with it tomorrow. That's what they should do in any event. They put it aside to take care of their physical health. Well, you know what they should do in order to take care of their spiritual health? They should put the thoughts aside in order to take care of their spiritual health. So they're not just saying, it doesn't look like this. Oh, I have a trip coming up. Whatever, just get it out of your mind. Oh, I have to 
uh, fill out the application for work. Forget about it. Nonsense. Don't worry about it. That's very convenient, but that's not what we're saying over here. We're saying, yes, there's true. There's certain things that you have to take care of, but now is not the time. Every single day, a person needs to take the time to take care of the things they need to take care of. And while they're taking care of those things, they should be focused on those things. But while they're praying, they need to pray. So yes, it requires your attention, but your response to those kind of thoughts is, now is not the time. There's a story told, the Rebbe told the story of his father-in-law, the Friedrich Rebbe, that one time he walked into his office shortly before he was about to leave on a trip to Moscow. This was a very dangerous trip for him. The previous Rebbe was constantly being followed by the Russians because they knew of his activities on behalf of Judaism and they were trying to keep an eye on him, keep tabs on him in every moment. They kept tabs on him when he was in his home. And of course, if he was going to take a trip to Moscow, they figured this must be a trip that's definitely in the interest of Judaism. He couldn't even send an emissary. He's going to have to take care of this himself. It must be a very significant trip. So they were definitely going to follow him if they saw him traveling to Moscow. So he is shortly before his trip to travel to Moscow, a very dangerous trip, dangerous for him, dangerous for his activities. And yet, he's sitting there in his office, totally tranquil, as if nothing is happening. He's focusing on whatever he was working on at that time. And the Rebbe was shocked. I mean, you have this dangerous trip coming up in a very short amount of time, and you're able to concentrate, focus so fully on whatever you're doing right now, and not able to hold himself in. He said, to such an extent, really, you could be so tranquil when you have such worries coming up, such a dangerous endeavor coming up, such a dangerous trip is coming, and you can sit there totally peaceful. And so the Freer de Grove answered him, and he said like this, this is what I heard, and this is most probably from his father, the Rebbe Rashab, who heard it from his father, the Rebbe Maharash. A person should train himself to focus exclusively on the matter with which he is presently involved. Nothing of the past or of the future should bother him, no matter their significance. They are non-existent. Once this state of mind is achieved, a person can perform many tasks, even in a short period of time. For the lack of disturbing thoughts enables a person to utilize every moment to its utmost. This is what is called Hatzlacha Bizman, success with time. And then he gave an example. He gave an example of the Rashba. The Rashba was a famous Talmudic scholar of the 13th century. He was like the scholar of his time. Thousands of questions poured into him, halacha queries from around the world. And do you know what his schedule looks like? Every single day he gave three scholarly lectures to a group of very advanced students. He would answer responses that came into him, questions that came into him from all over the world. We have thousands of them today, but even many of them we don't have, so we can't even imagine how many answers he gave. He was a doctor, and he took care of patients every day, and plus he prayed, and he studied for himself every day, and every single day, he also would take a walk. How did he manage to do that every single day? All that every single day. And the previous Rebbe said that was because wherever he was, that's where he was. When he taught Torah, he was totally involved only in teaching Torah. 
When he was there with his patients, he was totally involved only with his patients. And yes, even when he took a walk, that's where he was on his walk. And this is a very, very important principle to keep in mind. When you're there, you need to be totally there. So yes, you have these troubles that you need to take care of, but you're praying right now, and now is not the time. So if they're bombarding your mind while you're praying, say now is not the time and refocus your energy on your prayers. So these were the different thoughts we revisited. We looked at the thoughts of just distracting thoughts, thoughts that were just trying to get your concentration and your focus off of your prayers and definitely just ignore it. This is like a stranger who's trying to bother you and confuse you. Don't answer him anything. All he's here is to confuse you. Answer him nothing at all. And then what about those thoughts that you really need to take care of? Well, now is not the time. Refocus your concentration on prayers and definitely make time every single day, not prayer time make a focus time every single day that that's when you take care of your problems don't let your problems plague your mind all day long that's a no-no if you allow your problems to take plague your mind all day long it's just sucking and draining your energy there's a time to take care of that and then when you're not taking care of that then look at what the rashba did wherever you are that's where you need to be don't focus on anything else except that with which you are presently involved and then one week after class a question came up and this was a private discussion after class. It was about, what about worried thoughts? Like worrying about the future. This is a very important idea that we need to visit. I'm going to quote from Dr. Sarahana Radcliffe's book that I've recommended before, and that's called The Fear Fix. And she speaks about how worry releases bad feeling chemicals into the bloodstream. Just a few minutes of worry already make a person feel stressed. People think that worry happens to them, but that's not true. They are not worried. They are worrying. Worrying is an active state of paying attention to painful thoughts or fears. That's what worrying is. And every time we worry, we then will worry more. A person who worries will worry more because they are training their brain that this is where they like to pay attention. She gives an excellent analogy. Okay, so you open up your favorite shopping site, or let's say somebody goes to Amazon, and it says, hello, Sarah. We have some suggestions for you today. And then it offers Sarah some books about parenting, some books on technology, some books on vegan cooking. Oh my goodness. How does Amazon know what Sarah likes? Is Amazon psychic? Are they lucky? No, Amazon is not psychic. Amazon is not lucky. And guess what? Amazon didn't even create that page. Do you know who created that page? Sarah did. Every time she goes shopping, she spends time looking at different things. And then Amazon only tracks her activity. Oh, this is what she likes. Next time she comes, I'll offer her more of that. That's exactly what we do to our brain every time we think thoughts. Every time a person thinks worried thoughts, they're training their brain to say, this is what Sarah is interested in. And then it will offer you more of the same. Don't do that. We can redirect our thoughts. This is a basic Jewish principle. Mayach shalit al-halev. Our mind rules over our heart. 
So we don't have to think worried thoughts. We should not be thinking worried thoughts. What does David HaMelech write into Hillim? He who trusts in Hashem will be surrounded by kindness. It is our choice to think good thoughts, happy thoughts, to know that Hashem has our best interest in mind and He truly only wants the best for us. And when we show Him that we totally trust Him, that He's going to show us open and revealed goodness, that's how He responds, by showing us only open and revealed goodness. The Talmud has something very interesting. It speaks about different omens, how they're just worthless superstitions. And one of them was about whether or not a person's trip was going to be met with success or with doom. And the Talmud said, that omen, of course, is nothing. It's worthless. But don't do it. Why shouldn't you do it? Because if a person will get the omen that says, that sign that says their trip will be met with doom, they're going to become disheartened. And because of their sad feelings, then their fortune will suffer. They are kind of bringing it on themselves by having these sad thoughts. We need to have happy thoughts. If a person is worried, then they should acknowledge it. Oh, hello, I see you there. And then they should name the feeling. I'm feeling very overwhelmed right now. Okay, now let it go. Redirect your mind. Thoughts that release good feeling chemicals into our bloodstream are thoughts of gratitude to Hashem. Thank Hashem for all the things that you have. Start thinking about all those times that Hashem did such good things for you. That gives good chemicals into your blood. Instead of thinking how that thing that you're in the middle of working on is going to be a disaster, think about how it's going to be marvelous. Train your brain to think positive thoughts instead of worried thoughts. And when you do that, you are remaking your front page. And your brain will be trained that actually Sarah doesn't want to pay attention to worries anymore. Sarah prefers to have happy, joyous thoughts and it will start offering you more of the same. So let's go back into the text right now. We talked about how if a person is getting distracted thoughts, they should just totally ignore those distracted thoughts. Those distracted thoughts are not there to serve any purpose except to confuse the purpose, to confuse the person. Okay, I'll read back from the line before. Surely the best advice in this case would be to answer him neither good nor evil, but rather act as though he were deaf without hearing. Ulakai masha kosov al ta'an ksil ki'ivaltai. And to comply with the verse, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you too become like him. So Shlomo HaMelech writes, don't even answer the fool. The Metzudas translates his folly is he's trying to engage you in an argument. Don't even answer him because maybe you will become like him. And Rabag explains that if you give weight to his words, you will allow his words to affect you and you too will become foolish. Kach. Al Yashiv Muuma Vishum Taina Umaina Neged Hamachshava Zara. Just as in the analogy of the heathen who disturbs one during prayer, so too when foreign thoughts enter one's mind while praying, he should answer nothing at all, nor should he engage in argument against the foreign thought, meaning he should not occupy himself with mental discussion on the best strategy for countering the thought. So don't engage. Any way you engage, you are totally indulging your animal soul. That's exactly what your animal soul wants. There's a very interesting interpretation of the story of the Jewish people running away from Egypt and then being chased by the Egyptians. Do you remember this? So the Jewish people leave Egypt and Paro says, oh my gosh, the people ran away. So he starts chasing after them. And then they're stuck between the sea 
in front of them and Paro's armies behind them. And the Jewish people are divided into four groups. How should they handle it? And Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people, each of your ways, we are not going to do it this way. Hashem spoke to Moshe and he said, Daber al Bnei Yisrael v'isa'u. Speak to the Jewish people and let them travel. Keep moving. Move onward. And the She'eris Yisrael, a great Hasidic master, wrote in the name of the Alter Rebbe, actually, that this is the interpretation over here. You're being plagued by Paro's armies. Foreign thoughts are chasing after you. Your spiritual captors don't want to let you go. Oh, no, no, she's advancing. No, you can't do that. Come back here. Come back. You're my slave. Nothing. Don't engage. What did Hashem say? Keep moving forward. Ignore it. Don't give it any importance. Nothing at all. Keep moving forward. Don't walk into the trap. Key. Because. For he who wrestles with a filthy person is bound to become soiled himself. Similarly, in the process of fighting the foreign thought, one's mind becomes filled and tainted by it. He should therefore not seek to grapple with it. So if you're going to hang around with a filthy, immoral person, you're going to be downgraded yourself. Don't hang around with your distracting thoughts because they're going to turn you into something like themselves. The Alter Rebbe gives the example of wrestling with a filthy person. Even if the reason why you're wrestling with the person is in order to clean them, guess who else is going to become dirty? You. Don't bother engaging. Keep moving forward. Instead, he should pretend not to know nor hear the foreign thoughts that occur to him. He should dismiss them from his mind. And strengthen still more the power of his concentration. So we have to recognize this for what it is. What is it? It's a war effort on behalf of your animal soul. So don't engage. Pretend like you hear nothing. And instead of doing what it wants, instead of indulging it by getting distracted, do exactly the opposite of what it wants. Intensify your concentration and increase in your joy. This is your war effort to counter his war effort. He wants to distract you. He wants to sadden you. He wants to dishearten you. Forget about it. Concentrate more. Increase your joy. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Okay, but what if you can't? If, however, he finds it difficult to dismiss them because they distract his mind with great intensity. So now the person is really stuck. They're having these thoughts that are disturbing his devotions. And he knows he can't engage. Don't engage because you're walking right into the trap. Don't engage and don't wrestle because you're going to get dirty yourself. At the same time, he can't move on. He can't keep going forward because he's feeling very distracted. So the answer to him over here is... Then he should humble his soul before Hashem and supplicate him in his thought to have compassion upon him in his abundant mercies. So what is he doing? He's not engaging, but he's disturbed. He can't move on. So he prays. He doesn't pray verbally because he's in the middle of prayer, so he can't use other words right now, but he supplicates Hashem in his mind. He humbles himself before Hashem. And the Altar now describes to us what this supplication looks like. 
Kirachem of Albanim Hanim Shachem Mimaychai, the Kacha Yirachem Hashem Al Nafshai Hanim Shachas Meita Yisbarich. Like a father who takes pity on his children who stem from his brain, so too should Hashem be compassionate on his soul, which, which derives from Hashem's mind, the attribute of Chachma, as explained in chapter 2. So the Torah tells us, Banim Atem Hashem Elokechem. You are children to Hashem, your God. In chapter 2, the Altar explains to us the concept of the divine soul. And it's, he says, Just like a child derives from his father's brain, so too, anthropomorphically, anthropomorphically speaking, do the Jewish people derive from Hashem's mind, the supernal wisdom. And unlike us, who our wisdom is separate from us, Hashem's wisdom is one with him. The Jewish people coming from Hashem's wisdom means that they are one with him. So when we are begging Hashem to help us, we are asking him to have pity on us, but we're also asking him to have pity like a father has pity on his child. Why does the father have pity on his child? Because it's not just another person. The child is really part of the father himself. We're asking Hashem, as it were, to have pity on himself. When a Jewish person suffers, do you know who else suffers, as it were? Rabbi Meir says the Shechina suffers. Rabbi Meir says that every time a Jewish person goes through pain, the Shechina cries and says, Kaleni me raishi, Kaleni mizra'i. I'm feeling heavy, I'm having pain in my head. I'm distressed because of my arm. The Shechina cries. So we're saying, we're having trouble over here? Look, Hashem, that means you're having trouble. Have pity on us like a father has pity on his child. To rescue it from the turbulent waters, meaning the thoughts which disturb the soul, this he should do for his own sake, since truly his people is a part of Hashem. So in Parshas Hazinu, the Torah says, that the Jewish people are a part of Hashem. Literally, we are a part of Him. So what's happening? We're in our devotions and we can't. We are flooded. The Alter uses the term from Tehillim, turbulent waters, mayim hazedainim. These are the thoughts which threaten to totally flood our mind and heart. We can't. We feel like we're totally immersed. It's coming over our head. So then we beg Hashem, please do this, not for our sake, do this for your sake. In order that one should not occur divine judgment as to whether he is worthy of Hashem's compassion, the Alter Rebbe advises that one should beseech Hashem's mercies for his own sake. And it's a very interesting thing over here that we're using a new tactic over here. We gave it our, our all. Up until now, we thought we were doing the best we can. It's like the anecdote. The father walks by his little boy's room and the little boy is trying to move the dresser. So he's pushing and pushing and pushing and the dresser won't budge. And the father looks at the boy and says, son, are you trying your hardest? And he says, yes, I'm trying my hardest. Don't you see? I'm using all my might. And the father says, no, you're not. You forgot to ask me to help you. And that's how it is in our journey. We have to try as best as we can, but we can never forget to ask Hashem for help. And the way that we ask Hashem for help is in a very interesting way. We're not asking in a specific fashion, do it for me. We're asking Hashem, do it for your sake. 
Now we're going to read over here this, this interpretation. In order that one should not incur divine judgment as to whether he is worthy of God's compassion, the Alter Rebbe advises that one should beseech Hashem's mercies for his own sake. Since the soul is a part of Hashem, in aiding the soul, he actually hates, aids in aiding the soul, he actually helps himself, so to speak. The question of whether one is deserving of such aid thus becomes irrelevant. So there's a very interesting dynamic going on over here. Rabbi Steinsaltz points out that when a person experiences hardship, they are at risk of spiritual corruption. Why? Because the more they become involved in their troubles, the more self-absorbed they become. They start thinking more and more of themselves. This can breed egotism, and this can lead them to moral and spiritual corruption. They have to stop seeing their problem as a particular problem, and they have to start putting it in context. As far as, this is a larger problem. This is not just my problem. When I'm hurting, you know who else is hurting? Hashem is hurting, as it were. The Shechina is hurting. And that's why in Avinu Malkeinu we say, act for your own sake. Or when we pray for a sick person, we pray for them to be healed among the rest of the sick in Israel. A person can say, am I deserving? Well, it depends. You're like, I'm just a speck of the planet. Does Hashem really care about me? Well, what's your attitude here? If this is about just you, then perhaps you're not deserving. As a self-sufficient ego, then no, maybe you don't deserve any help. But you forget who you are. You're not a self-absorbed ego. You are a part of Hashem Himself. And being part of Hashem Himself means that you are infinite. Definitely you deserve Hashem's help when you are infinite. Definitely you deserve all the divine assistance you can get because this is not behalf of you, the little person on the planet. This is on behalf of you as you are an expression of the divine. Most certainly you deserve Hashem's help. This is very, very perspective changing because sometimes people say, you know, I, I feel bad to ask Hashem for things. Like, do I deserve it? No, you don't. Not when you are in egotistical person that is a separate existence from Hashem but that's not who you are yes a hundred percent you absolutely deserve it because Hashem deserves it you need to be in the best space possible so you can give as much light in this planet so that you can realize Hashem's desire of making this world a home for him you need it all for Hashem's sake when a person becomes self-absorbed they become like a black hole all that light that they could have been used to shine outward, they start sucking into themselves. They become selfish and self-absorbed. No, don't do that. Put it into context. It's not about just you. This is about Hashem. This is about the Jewish people as a whole. Absolutely, you deserve His assistance because you are literally a part of Him. And then, So on one hand, this is a supplication. Hashem, please do it for your own sake. Another interpretation sees the words, this he should do for his own sake, not as part of the worshiper's plea, but as a guarantee. God will certainly come to the aid of one who entreats him and certainly will rescue his soul from the turbulent waters. This is for his own sake, for the soul is veritably a part of Hashem. So last, let's wrap up what we said in this last section. And that is that if a person is plagued by thoughts, 
He should treat the thought as though it's a stranger outside of him. The stranger outside of him is just trying to disturb him. You wouldn't want to answer him. You would be feeding into his trap. So what do you do? You just completely ignore him. And if it's not working, if you feel like you can't ignore him, then raise up your hands to our Father in heaven. Beg Hashem for help. And surely on his behalf, he will help us. So we finished chapter 28. It was a short chapter. And I'm going to wrap up the chapter as a whole. And then we'll get to questions and discussions. Okay, so if a person is plagued by stray thoughts during devotions, they should just ignore the thought. They should not try to elevate the thought because as long as we still have evil within us, this is not our job. This is solely the province of a tzaddik. Everybody else has to just ignore the thought. They should not either feel dejected or despicable because of it. On the contrary, they should increase their joy because right now they're serving Hashem and serving Hashem has to be with joy. And the fact that your dark side is speaking up, this is, yes, it feels like an obstacle in the way, but this is part of your way. As long as you have a dark side within you, this is part of your struggle. And the fact that it's speaking up means that your divine soul is gaining more energy. It's gathering momentum. The fact that your dark side is speaking up means that your divine soul is gathering momentum. This is a very, very good sign. So don't pay attention to those people who say that, listen, if you are experiencing bad thoughts during your prayer, it means that your prayer is worthless. That would be true if we only had one soul, but we don't have one soul. We have two souls. The divine soul thinks everything that's about Hashem and the animal soul thinks all worldly matters. And so, even as our divine soul is engaged, our animal soul, because it is what gives voice to the divine soul in our body, has a chance to speak up. So what we need to do is we need to totally ignore it. Pretend like it's a stranger from without. We have to increase our concentration. We have to increase our joy. And what if we can't concentrate? Well, now's the time to humble ourselves and to beg Hashem to help us. And definitely Hashem will help us for his own sake, because the Jewish people is literally a part of Hashem. So everybody's on mute. And if anybody has question or discussion, I think I saw something pop up on the chat. Yes, I did. How do you sublimate your needs and request Hashem while you must concentrate on the words of prayer as a balancing type of act? Well, while you're praying and you're beseeching Hashem in your mind, at that time that you're beseeching him, you're not verbally saying the words of the prayer. You're stopping your words of prayer at that moment. And in your mind, you're saying, help, Hashem, I need help. But you're not verbally saying that because you can't interrupt verbally. So you are interrupting the words so that you can now focus your attention, not on the thought where the animal soul is trying to grab you. Forget about that. Don't engage. But direct your thoughts to Hashem. Hashem, please help me. 